The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about more about the Ravens offense in that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. A very gratifying win in terms of being able to grind out the opponent. We're going to talk about the group probably most responsible for that, the offensive line to start off here. But first, we're going to introduce the guest for this show is Kevin Ostreicher of Locked On Ravens. Kevin, how are you doing? Doing good, Ken. Yeah, this is a big divisional win for the Ravens. They're in their string now, divisional matchups with the Falcons kind of thrown in there. But 16 to 14, grinded out win against Pittsburgh. Those games are always tough, though. And so Baltimore coming out with a win is impressive nonetheless. Very big deal. Uh, Kevin, tell folks where they can find you online here. You can find me on Twitter 
at Chaos Striker 34 for any Ravens news analysis updates. I, I usually got it all over there. All right. And you're you're the host of Locked on Ravens, which is available on all podcast platforms, and you write for Ravens Wire as well, right? Yes, absolutely correct. <laughs> I just want to make sure that's out there. If you missed part one, go back and download it. I mean, seriously, good stuff in, in, in part one, but there's going to be some even better stuff, I think, in part two, too. So hang around for this one as well. Make sure you get to, to, to listen to both. Uh, need to thank our sponsor here, and that's Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, please give their product a try. They've been very good to us. So, Kevin, we want to talk a little bit about the offensive line here. And let me get my notes together here. Um, you know, fairly average overall. They they had some, uh, uh, it certainly gave up some pass rush events in this game, as we talked about a little bit in the, in the first show. Um, but, you know, overall, a very fine performance as run blockers. Yeah, and, and I think when you're talking about an offensive line, it, for me, it all starts up front. Like it, for me, I've always said it doesn't matter how good your quarterbacks are, your running backs, your wide receivers, your tight ends. If your offensive line can't block, there are going to be defenders in the opposing better than the offensive backfield in half a second or a second or whatnot. So I, th- I think when you're talking about what the Ravens were able to do, the Ravens run game was dominant throughout the entire course of the game. They're down Kevin Zeitler in this one as well. So you're having the rotation in there of Tristan Cologne and a Ben Cleveland. But I think another key part of this was Ronnie Stanley coming back after a couple of weeks, Ken. And I feel like Stanley, he, he was all right. Wasn't his best game. Wasn't his, not, wasn't necessarily his worst. Had a couple of missed blocks in there. I thought that he coming back, like Ronnie Stanley on the field is an automatic plus for the Ravens. But at the same time, I do think that this wasn't like vintage Ronnie Stanley. I'd say he was oh, okay. Ronnie Stanley. What do you think about his performance? So, yeah, I think you covered some of it in there. So, first of all, two weeks off, you really are taking a walk through the desert of left tackle play, and with uh, McCary in there, and uh, uh, who was is not not terrible, but not Ronnie Stanley. And then you had uh, Falaleli in there, who turned in one of the worst performances of left tack- left tackle we've seen, in fact, that I've ever scored um, last week. So Stanley returning was a very big deal this week. And, and obviously they, they had multiple players returned, but Stanley was the most important, even though Williams had an interception and uh, you know Patrick Queen came back from the thigh bruise to play well. And Dobbins came back and had a big game, obviously at running back, but Stanley still of all those, even though he didn't play at his top form was, was really important. So what do you do in this game? He, he was up against Alex Highsmith. Who's one of the top sack guys in the AFC still was leading the league for a while in here. And one thing you could really notice is that Stanley was giving a little more ground than Norma to mirror. I've talked a little bit about this before, but Stanley's natural style as a pass blocker is maintain mirror at all costs. And that works very well with Lamar Jackson, who takes a bump in the pocket extremely well. And he also has a better feel for the pocket in terms of how close an impending pass rusher and Stanley are that are approaching from, from his blind side. But uh, we, we definitely saw a lot of that in this game where Stanley gave ground and maintained his mirror against Highsmith. He was generally quite effective in that way, but he give, did give up two and a half pressures, a third of a sack, one penetration in this game. Uh, he, he was uh, also run out of two, two pressures by Huntley um, on, uh, uh, during the game. So Huntley uh, got pincered a couple of times. I believe both of them might have been Moses and Stanley on the same play pinching the pocket from both sides with Huntley taking off for a positive gain that ended up getting Stanley out of about minus four points. I had to reduce his subjective adjustment for that. A little unfortunate to see him miss nine blocks, but did really see him make some big plays. 
on the back end. He had he had six of his nine blocks were losses at the line of scrimmage. I like to divide those out. That's times where the man across from him is beating him in some way, either getting getting him pushed back or uh, you know moving him for one of these Huntley uh, uh, runs would would be in there at well. Uh, but one block in level two, one pancake, seven of nine on his pulls. That's really good for a tackle, by the way. Um, and two highlight blocks. Just a fantastic uh, security guard-like performance on the last two drives of the game where he threw in a highlight on each one, but most notably on the run right for six. And we talked about this briefly on the first show, Kevin. The run right for six on third and three that sealed the game. He's actually on the backside holding off both Hayward and Highsmith there with the help of powers, but Stanley's really leaving nothing to chance at that point, wanting a hand on each. Yeah. He, he was somebody who I think he made an impact just by being there because the, mm-hmm. the replacement level drop off is pretty significant. No, no shade to Pasha McCary or Daniel Filey, but they're just, they're not Ronnie Stanley. But I think Ken, it's really interesting when you're talking about the offensive line, because the, the one position that everybody was so infatuated with in terms of the competition in the preseason and training camp was left guard. Now, Ben Powers wins it. I'm not sure how many people felt confident in the decision. I know a lot of people had Tyree Phillips there. Others had Ben Cleveland, although Cleveland missed some time early in training camp due to the conditioning thing. But I thought Ben Powers played really, really well in this game. He didn't really make a lot, if any, mistakes. Like I, I didn't see any, any play where I was like, Ben Powers is the reason this play went awry or Ben Powers is the reason why this happened. I thought he played outstanding football in really what I think has been an absolutely career year for him. And I think this game was another solid check mark on, on his resume this season. Back for a second to Stanley, who who got a D on the game. I just want to make sure I get the grade in there for each of these players before we go. But Powers, I completely agree with the comments you're making about his season. Just outstanding. I throw in a plug here, and this is something that was posted over the weekend, so a lot of people might have missed it. But I, I interviewed Ben Powers, uh, and and that got posted, I believe, on Saturday morning. But first of all, uh, he's kind of terse guy, a little bit of difficult to get out of his shell initially. But when he starts talking about offensive line play, it is pure gold in terms of how he talks about what he's trying to accomplish on a play, where he keeps his vision at the – he looks for the NFL logo or he tries to focus on the top of the right number of his opposing player because he, there's nobody head faking him or arm faking him there. You know, it's, it's, so he can do that. I, you know, then I ask the question of, you know, what happens when you have somebody who's stunting on that play? And he says it's really more of a feel thing to pick up a stunt. You still want to maintain your focus. And, you know, obviously there's a twist or something. You, you have to you have to change it. But it was more of a feel thing to pick up stunts. So I, I found fascinating. There's probably 10 minutes or 15 minutes of him just going through offensive line specifics like that, that if you're into it at all, I think you'd really enjoy. So anyway, please give that a listen if you if you can. Um, Powers had one of his best career games here. No negative plays, uh, three missed blocks. Did not really get the kind of love from PFF that he should have gotten. Very average run blocking score in this game, but um, he was terrific. Ten out of ten on pulls. Kevin Harlan seemed to be getting you know audibly excited by Powers play, particularly I think mentioned his name twice on the on the big game ceiling play, but he had others during the game as well. But uh, you know, 10 out of 10 on pulls. Anytime a guard does that, that's a, that's a very special day. It's uh, very hard to get a hundred percent on as many as 10 pulls and powers had been frankly struggling a little bit uh, getting to the right point on some pulls had been a little bit late uh, made three blocks in level two, had two pancakes uh, an a performance. And again, just one of his best uh, 
performances ever. And and this is a case, and we're going to get to this with Linderbaum in a second, but Powers is a great run blocker who is not, uh, sorry, a great pass blocker who's not as great a run blocker. Linderbaum is a great run blocker who's not as great a pass blocker. The great pass blockers will always score better by my system and in my reasoning on football because pass blocking plays are pass plays are much higher leverage. When do you when do you pass, Kevin? On third well, down? Third, yeah, <laughs> usually if it's third third and long, you gotta pass. Yeah. Third and and third and just about third medium usually too, but it's if they're mm-hmm. high leverage plays. You have to have those plays when you're trying to come back. You know, they're they're again you're talking about high leverage plays and and you have to uh uh try to do so. so anyway, the point being that if if you can only be good at one, be a good pass blocker. Powers pick the right thing. It's kind of like on base percentage in baseball as opposed to slugging percentage. Whereas uh, Linderbaum is more of a slugging percentage player at this point in his career, still a rookie. So, uh, you know, we have we have hopes that that'll improve. Yeah. And speaking of Linderbaum, I know PFF extremely high grade initially for Tyler Linderbaum in this one. John Harbaugh had he heat praise on Linderbaum talking about Cam Hayward, how the Steelers put him over Linderbaum and how he thought he did a good job against him. Linderbaum in this one, I thought that he was he was pretty solid. I'm not going to say the, the greatest performance I've ever seen from him through his rookie season. I know PFF thought so. John Harbaugh thought so, but I thought I, I'd, I'd give him a solid overall grade. I'm not going to say it was his best game, but I don't think it was his worst by any stretch. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Yeah. Um, Maureen and I did the grading on Monday night, we're recording this now on Tuesday night. So time gets a little bit compressed as we're, as we're trying to get through this. And all I can say is we had a huge difference from the PFF grading, particularly in the terms of the pass blocking. And I, I looked at what they'd done and they'd had only one pressure and uh, for him. And I, you know, I had it as four different pressure events. In fact, two, pre- two full pressures, a quarterback hit. You could have given him a whole sack. I actually gave him a third of the sack where I gave a third of it to um, uh, Cleveland. They had a kind of a blown stunt handoff. The half of the stunt that got blown by Linderbaum was the first to grab him, uh, to grab Huntley in the pocket, and then he got finished off actually by T.J. Watt, who came off of Moses. Um, but but I thought the the that sack probably should have been um, you know split two ways or three. 
if you give Huntley a portion for not really moving. And if Huntley was a little bit of deer in the headlights on that place, I ended up giving a third of it to him. I I, I can't minimize the, the the result of that play anymore. But anyway, I, I it's one thing, and PFF is very good about this. If you reach out to them, they will explain their scoring to you. So if you say, look, I'm looking at these four specific plays. Um, I scored this as pressure, pressure, quarterback hit, sack. What did you do on this, or or, or why did you not have that? And I got a response almost right back right away, and and they said that uh, yeah, all those plays were under review overnight. And I got the the thing back when I woke up, and they said we've actually changed them, and they had uh, pressure. They agreed pressure. They already had scored that way. Sack. They gave them the whole thing. And I gave him a third, so I actually gave, gave him a little bit of, of, of sugar relative to what PFF did. And the quarterback hit, they had an interesting answer on. They said they didn't ever give a quarterback hit when a player allows a def- uh, sorry pushes a lineman into the quarterback without actually getting the hands on the quarterback themselves. Doesn't make sense to me, but hey, if it's their system, they get the right to define it the way they want to. So I gave him the full quarterback hit. PFF said they dra- downgraded him on the play for that but they they didn't um, give a quarterback hit. So PFF consistently revises their grade during the week if you see that that'll happen. Um, I noticed Linderbaum was out there, I think, with a 70-something grade as a pass protector originally. Um, it's in the 30s now. And I, I think based on what I've seen, the few number of passes that the Ravens threw in this game, I think that's about right. Um, he had five missed blocks. All of those were at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he was saved of one pressure when Huntley ran out of it, as I saw it. Two out of two on pulls, three blocks in level two, one highlight. That was one of the highlights of the year on the 44-yard Dobbins run. He he cleared both sides that whole thing of beauty there, huh, Kevin? Oh, yeah, it, it was incredible. That that was one of those. I know Linderbaum's had a couple of those viral blocks this year. I know mm-hmm. the Tampa game where he just had Devin White miserable for that entire game, a couple of bully blocks there. That one, that that one against uh, on that or on that Dobbins run was was a thing of beauty. Yeah, he's, he's it really showed to me just how effective he can be with big men playing next to him. And this is this is part of the value that Linderbaum gives the Ravens is he's a he's a quick finesse player between two potentially monstrous players. Now Cologne is not that, although he had a good game here. But Cleveland is that, and Cleveland just was getting immense push in this game for the other failures that he had. He was getting immense push in this game. And when he has Linderbaum to help tee him up as he did there, he finished Hayward on that kick out on the right side of that hole for Dobbins. And, and uh, Linderbaum just made, i uh, sorry, uh, Cleveland made uh, Cam Hayward look like a little boy. And he had a lot of, he, he obviously did a lot of damage to the Ravens line the, the entire game. Yeah. And th- that's the next storyline here. I mean, you have Cologne starting in place of Zeitler, but then Ben Cleveland also rotating in as well. Now, Zeitler is a big loss no matter how you slice it. He is, I think, the beacon of consistency on that Ravens offensive line. But I think when you're talking about who filled in for him, I, th- I mean, starting off with Cologne, I thought he had a very good game in this one. Okay, let, let me let me stop you for a second because we're going to get ahead of ourselves here. I, I need to need to explain Linderbaum's grade before we jump oh, okay, on here. Okay. Yeah, so that's really important. We got to finish with that. <laughs> so, so I know PFF had him for a very high grade, but because of the the pass blocking waiting and the run blocking, Linderbaum was a D as I had it scored, and I gave him a a the maximum possible adjustment in my system. I gave him ten full points back for playing against Cam Hayward a fair amount of the time 
and then also for just the quality of his run blocks in this game. Uh, so, you know, he he's at, was at 0.68 points per play, even improving all the way to 0.78 points per play, still only gets him into the middle of the D range. So I know a lot of people aren't going to be happy with that, but, you know, that's the truth of the matter as far as I see it, is that is that PFF really does not weight properly between run and pass blocking, and that's why it ends up that way. But Linderbaum, I, I, I still have hope that he'll put on weight, put on strength, and get better at the things that will overcome his length issues at the NFL level to be a to be a more valuable pass blocker. Right now, he's not there, folks. And just pretending like he's the greatest all-around center who's ever played is not serving anybody to do that. I mean, he's not ready for the Pro Bowl yet. He's not he's not an all-pro player. Creed Humphrey was that as a rookie, but Linderbaum is not. And and as good as he's been as a run blocker, he's he's got area he needs to improve in uh as a as a center to be really a a, a top tier guy i think linderbaum's rookie season you, you can take a lot of good from it but there is yeah. you know he's still a rookie you know there's still areas he can improve indefinitely but now we can segue yeah, <laughs> Tristan Cologne and, and talk about him we'll, we'll do him and ben cleveland starting for zeitler but i think cologne just like powers he will he was one of those guys who i didn't really look at any certain play and say oh tristan cologne's the reason that this didn't go well i thought filling in for zeitler in the snaps that he played he he played really good football yeah i agree I, he was he was outstanding in the in the time he played i want to make sure i have the right number of snaps for him. now you mentioned yeah played 43 snaps uh, made 39 of the blocks, so he had four missed, but no negative plays in this. And that's really a big deal. Um, three of the four missed blocks were losses of the line of scrimmage. He was three out of four on pulls. They were mostly pulling left to right and not right to left in this game. Uh, so, so he didn't have as much opportunity to pull as Ben Powers did. Um, six blocks in level two, though, and two pancakes. So he was part of the Ravens combination game, getting guys into level two, uh, making blocks there. Uh, he had a nice highlight combination block on Adams and then Bush in level two uh, in the game, an A overall. And, and it's one of the best games of Cologne's career. I don't think it's quite the best, but it's pretty damn close. And I have to go back and look and see what other A's he's had since he's been with the Ravens. But uh, uh, this was a really top, top flight game for him. Yeah. And then on the other side of things, uh, you have Ben Cleveland. But do you have the grade for, for Tristan Cologne? A, a for Tristan Cologne for this and and one of the best games of his career certainly and I I I uh, you know thank you for do, thank you for doing that <laughs> no, just uh, making sure I learned my lesson the first time so <laughs> now for Ben Cleveland uh, for him people were expecting him to get the start if Zeitler wasn't able to go Cleveland still got his share of snaps though I thought he was fine he did have a couple of missed blocks in there he had a couple of plays where you wish he could have performed better. Didn't play a ton of snaps overall, but I do think that on a couple of plays, he showed his dominance on other plays. He, he was more of the liability. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there's some plays and obviously in there, there, he was party to both sacks, which is bad. He had a one third share of each of those had a, had a botched stunt handoff on one and the other one he was, I think he was beaten outside at what it was, or maybe he was beaten inside a botched stunt handoff on the first one, the second one, he was uh, beaten inside by a stunt by Watt. So, you know, not not an ideal, obviously, to in only 14 snaps played to have two one-third sacks. He also missed four blocks. Uh, those weren't good. Two of those were, were losses to the line of scrimmage. One of them was the ball dislodged on the fumble on fourth and one. I don't think he was completely at fault, but because he was party to that fumble, I couldn't give him a block on the play. Um, I didn't charge him any on his on uh, on any kind of subjective score because he didn't get one. He only had 14 plays, so he doesn't get a grade in this one. 
did not pull during the game, uh, had a couple highlight blocks. And in fact, if you look at Cleveland in this game, the thing that really stands out is just how powerful he is. He brought his power game in and he was pushing people all over the field in the run game. And again, that doesn't make up for two thirds of a sack, but but it, it's uh, it was good. And if you look at the run plays while he was in, they ran for 44, 4, 9, 16, 11, 4, and 1 on the seven plays while he was run blocking in the game. That's 12.7 yards per play um, for the for the ones that he was in. Uh, you can have some forgiveness about things that did not work out. So while Cologne obviously did much more as a pass blocker to, to, to keep the quarterback safe, uh, Cleveland did all right. So 14 snaps, he would have been at a .29 unadjusted score, which is quite bad, obviously, with, with most of that coming in the in the pass. Blocking. I didn't try and look at PFF on this to see how they scored it between run and pass blocking. Yeah, and so I thought that both guys filled in admirably. I think Cologne definitely, definitely had the better game, and he played more snaps, so it worked out for him. And I think Noel just left to right, rounded it out. Morgan Moses, I think anytime someone goes up against T.J. Watt, you have to give him a little slack. You got to cut him a little bit there. Moses, I think this season, the definition that I think a lot of people would give him is like spectacularly unspectacular. Hasn't (laughs) been amazing. Hasn't been horrible. He's kind of been just in the middle here. I think this was another one of those games where did miss a couple blocks. In fact, missed a decent amount of blocks, but still I thought he did do good things as the game went on, especially on the last couple of possessions. But I know in the first half, things could have been a little better. Yeah, it was good from a pass blocking standpoint. And honestly, he's been some something somebody that the Ravens have been covering for as a pass blocker a lot this year with some chip and set blocking. They didn't do too much of that in this game. Uh, two half pressures, a third of a sack. Uh, there were three other times, however, where Huntley ran him out of pressure. So while as if he's up against Watt, I might normally give him a very high adjustment. I, I reduced his adjustment. Otherwise, he might have had a B in this game. Eight missed blocks. Six of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and again, not a you know good set of not too terrible uh, pass rush events against him, given, given that he's facing Watt. Seven blocks in level two, one pancake, three out of four on poles, two nice highlight blocks. Uh, C after adjustment. And again, you know, he, he gets a, a double plus for facing Watt and a double minus for pressures that got run out at, by him. And, and there were uh, three separate instances of those where Huntley ran him out of one. Uh, spectacularly unspectacularly is a good way to put it. Uh, a, a, you know, a C game. And uh, he's been better than that on average this year. But he's one of the linemen who you really notice the week to week variation can be very great. He's had some A's and he's had some, he's had a couple F's, I think, or at least one. And uh, that variation, you know, which happens to most players, uh, has been most evident in Morgan Moses as, as, on the Ravens offensive line this year. Yeah, so you, you have him in Baltimore, three years, 15 million, five-year average annual value. We'll see what he provides. But I think this year he's been solid, but again, that unspectacular. So I think this was overall, I think it was a fine game from the offensive line. Mm-hmm. You agree, Ken? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, obviously, when they when you can run the ball and everybody knows it's coming, that's that's what you want. And I think Ronnie Stanley had a had a quote like that today. I'm not trying to steal that, but that's basically what what they did. I mean, they they had an eight minute drive. Everybody knew what was coming on that drive. They weren't going to put the game in Anthony Brown's hands. They did for they got he got him one third down. So it's not fair to take that away from him. But they ran the football and then they ran the football three times, including that third and three run for six yards, which we talked about on the first show. Uh, 
really was just a spectacular play in terms of all the elements that came together on it. Yeah, so I think the offensive line played well, and I think the skill position players fed off of that. Guys like J.K. Dobbins, Demarcus Robinson, Mark Andrews, and, and everybody else. Take take us into that segment, will you, Kevin? So normally we we'll, we'll just bring up one guy at a time, a skill position player we're really going to talk about. I've not done much of this, frankly, so far today in in either the first show or so far certainly in this one. We've been talking about the offensive line, but who do you want to talk about? You know, I honestly. I think for Demarcus Robinson, I, we talked a lot about J.K. Dobbins. So I'm going to bring up Demarcus Robinson first. Five for 52, Baltimore's leading receiver. He's He has been their effective wide receiver one over the course of this last month or so. I know everybody was talking about Devin Duvernay being the wide receiver one, but Robinson just, it seems like he has the rapport with these quarterbacks. He's a, He's been sure-handed this season. He's able to get yards after the catch, which has been really nice. I, I, I felt that he's brought a lot to the table after being a signing that wasn't necessarily celebrated by a ton of people. It was more of those Oh, well, now the Ravens decide to bring in somebody and he was just cut by the Raiders after only being there after being with the Chiefs for a while. I've been very impressed with him in this game against Pittsburgh. He made some good things happen over the course of the entire game. He had a couple of really nice plays, had that 23 yarder also, and, you know, five receptions on six targets. He's also being efficient while doing it. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. And his yards per target has definitely improved a lot. Um, since that Tampa Bay game when he kind of broke out of uh, uh, some of the early funk that he'd had. Very low yards per target up through those those first uh, seven ball games ending with Cleveland. But now he's at uh, 390 yards on 56 targets, which is still not great. It's only less slightly under seven yards a target. But it's been a lot better than that in these past seven weeks and uh, or six weeks. He's been the guy who uh, the Ravens have really looked to throw the ball to, including that huge game at Carolina he had. Yeah, he's been he's been impressive. I'll move on. I'll talk about um, let's talk about uh, Patrick Ricard, who had a fantastic game, and and he's one of the guys that can easily get missed. But this is not a game where you throw the ball to Patrick Ricard. Thank goodness, you know, because those are are uh, you know they're they're never going to be big plays. You know, Patrick Yard this season has averaged you know five and a half yards per target uh, roughly. So he's not he's not going to be your breakaway guy. Although they should try that wheel route for him. But he got a, they got them a huge third down on because every every conversion is a is a big one on third and one where he ran for two yards and it was a nice uh, you know stick the belly and the stick the ball in the bellies of the fullback that got it done but more than that he was just a great both pass and run blocker in this game didn't really have he wasn't part of any note where he gave something up as a pass blocker and I thought in general his run blocking was excellent in this one as well. Yeah, he he played well. Patrick Ricard is just so hard to bring down, especially on those plays where you need a yard or two. He'll pick up three or four because he's just bullying through the middle of that line. He's carrying guys on his back. Yes, this this was not a game where the Ravens threw to him, and I agree. I think that's probably for the best in this situation. I mean, only four guys caught balls for the Ravens in this game. Ricard was not one of them. Only five received targets because, again, this was not a very high-volume passing game for them. But, I, yeah, Ricard in the run game I thought was very good. He opened up some holes in the pass game also. He was able to get some things done in terms of him being a blocker. So, you're right. Ricard's one of those guys who necessarily doesn't get all the love all the time because his role is, you know, his, his position and role isn't the prettiest thing in the entire world. But when you're talking about the offense and what he brings, he is very important. All right. Your, your turn. Who do you want to talk about? I talked, oh, I was going to bring up Deshaun Jackson, but I'm going to, 
I'm going to talk a bit about Gus Edwards because I feel like everybody's been talking about J.K. Dobbins, and right, rightfully so, right? He had a great game, eight yards per carry. But Gus Edwards, I call Kevin Zeitler the beacon of consistency on the Ravens' offensive line. I call Gus Edwards the beacon of consistency as a Ravens running back. Edwards has always been a guy averaged over five yards per carry in his first three full seasons, 5.1 yards per carry here, which is actually funny enough what the Ravens averaged as a team in this game against Pittsburgh, 13 carries, 66 yards, didn't score a touchdown. He, he just looks like the Gus Edwards of old to me. Uh, he's not necessarily as, you know, this flashy player, but he gets the yards. Doesn't really give up a ton of negative things. Like he always falls forward. I can't remember the stat and honestly, I haven't kept up with it ever since they started doing it, but he always, he, I think he's had like five negative plays in terms of rushes in his first three years. I don't know if that's gone up or down, but I thought he was really solid in this one. Yeah, he's uh, he certainly shows enough slipperiness with power that he's really good and and just really good decision maker, really good choice of whole player. We saw that uh, absolutely in terms of the game ceiling run allowed that that play to take a little bit of time to develop and hit the hole. And, you know, it was a chasm, frankly, by the time that play had had developed and DuVernay had, had, uh, uh, you know, already had a had a fake directed to him, uh, but it was a great play and, and uh, very happy. Edwards is, is definitely putting it together and uh, it's a nice one, two punch they have with Dobbins and Edwards, certainly in terms of that, that uh, running back group. I'll go ahead and talk about D Jacks. If you're not going to take him. Um, I, I think inevitably the Ravens are going to have to turn to more of Jackson down the stretch uh, that they will need him to take on more receiving workload and be that downfield to hit. They need to take the top off the defense. Right now, they're facing a very compressed set of defenders. Uh, we saw it more than ever on the fourth and one play where, you know, it, basically the Steelers were content to make it a rugby, rugby scrum and say, you know, you, we dare you to throw the ball against our corners and try and get one over the top on this play. And everybody else was down. Um, I, I think the Ravens are going to have to loosen up opponents with Deshaun Jackson more, which means more snaps for him. Uh, he's he's good as fresh legs, but uh, but he's been extraordinary in terms of yards per target this year at 13.4. And uh, I think he's a guy the Ravens are going to have to depend on more. All right. I think with them, with any of these veterans, honestly, the balance is can you get them on the field enough while also not running them into the ground because you have to monitor their workload, monitor their snap counts. Jackson has already dealt with an injury in Baltimore, so you're hoping to keep him as healthy as you can. But I agree. Again, I think that he has been an impact player for them. Again, he's not catching 10 passes for 100 yards every game, but he in spurts, he makes that impact. You can open up the field with him by sending him deep. He can also do a couple things in the middle of the field if you want him to. You can put him on a slant or whatever to pick up easy yards or an out or whatnot. But I think the way that he is utilized, right. The Ravens don't really have a player with his deep ball tracking ability. I agree with that point that you made earlier. He's someone who the Ravens can use in multiple different ways. He's not, he's, he is a deep threat. Like that is what he was brought in to do, but I mm-hmm. think he can also provide multiple other little things here and there that can open up the offense in other ways. Yep, not a terrible hot read player. That's certainly true. Uh, your turn. I think there are a couple. I think I'm, I'm going to go with Mark Andrews. Andrews finished this game, wasn't, again, two for 17. Did, was tied, well, was tied for the lead in targets, but Demarcus Robinson was six. Now, th- they missed him on a wide open play, would have walked into the end zone in the red zone. That was a bad play. Well, not for Andrews, but they missed him there. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't know. I feel like for Andrews, obviously had the pretty brutal drop in Jacksonville in the end zone where it kind of the ball like kind of bounced off his face. It was, a, it was a very weird play. I don't think Andrews is playing poorly right now. I just think people expect more from a box score perspective. And obviously things go far beyond the box score. He's demanding a lot of attention right now. Like everybody knows that Andrews is their best pass catcher. Everybody knows he is their most dynamic offensive weapon in the pass game. So obviously he's going to get a lot of that attention and that opens up things for a Demarcus Robinson or a Deshaun Jackson or some of these other guys. So I know some people are frustrated with the way Andrews has been playing. I'm not necessarily there. I do think that as a star, you have to be able to come up and make big plays, but I also think he's demanding so much attention that I, I do give him a bit of a pass in that circumstance. Yeah. One of the things about Mark Andrews is that his efficiency on a per target basis has dropped significantly since, since his rookie year, since 2019. I mean, basically been almost a straight line drop through his career, but when in 2019, there was an extraordinary, um, passer rating throwing the ball to him uh this last year it was down in the 92 or 93 range for Lamar throwing to Andrews well Lamar and Andrews is one of the most trusted matchups in the entire league you expect it to be higher than that Lamar had nine interceptions throwing the ball to Mark Andrews now there's a whole bunch of reasons for that it's 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 Lamar focusing on Andrews and not not watching a window close that certainly happened some against Cleveland it's him you know throwing and a ball getting tipped it's him throwing more more willingness to throw a contested ball to Andrews and ended up with an interception on a you know a slight overthrow or an underthrow it's a whole lot of different things that led to those nine interceptions but the what it really points to is the Ravens need to spread the ball out more to get the most they can out of Andrews and I, I hope they'll do that. Uh, he's he's certainly been a player who, uh, you know, he's he, he's not going to. It does not appear he's going to have a one thousand yard year this year. He could make it. It's going to be very close if he does. He's at six hundred and seventy one yards right now. That shouldn't be a milestone for anybody. It just it it really shouldn't be. The thing we should be really worried about, Mark Andrews, is that he's getting seven point three yards per target. That needs to improve. And for that to improve, I think he actually paradoxically needs to get less targets, not more. So uh, uh, hopefully the uh, the Ravens will figure it out and and big time. Hopefully Lamar Jackson will get back to help feed those numbers a little bit more. It's my turn, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. There you go. Okay, I, I another guy I thought had a great game uh, was Oliver. Uh, you know, he he quietly doing whatever is asked of him, and very quietly in this game, Oliver was not targeted. I don't believe in this game. Uh, and obviously he didn't run the ball or anything like that. Just a great game as a blocker. Again, uh, we see it in the run. We see it in the pass. Uh, fair number of R and L 84s on our, our sheet chain. He's the one who's, who's doing some pass blocking for the team. Uh, and he's also has a very big uh, run blocking presence um, in, in what he does. So I've uh, been a player that, that in a game like this, you really need to rely on. Uh, he is the Ravens best run blocking tight end now. Um, and it's nice to see that. And, and the, the combination of him and Ricard, you know, I, I, I wouldn't evoke use check and Kittle because, they, you know, they're difference in terms of danger of the weapons involved. But Oliver's been a hell of a player this year and, and uh, you know, still produces plenty for the team, even in a game where he does isn't targeted. Yeah, he's been, he's been great. And the fact that they were able to get him from Jacksonville for that conditional seventh and obviously the condition was him making the team last year. He's evolved, and so many coaches have had such high praise for him. John Harbaugh, Greg Roman, George Godsey even. I mean, he is he has evolved, and his blocking has been incredible. He makes that impact. Again, you're right. It doesn't just – he doesn't have to catch 
50 yards worth of passes or haul in seven catches to make an impact. He makes an impact with what he can do in line as a blocker, getting into space a little bit as well. He's been one of the, I think one of the best stories on the Ravens this year in a tight end room where Nick Boyle obviously has not made very much of a massive impact this season. Isaiah likely is coming to his own and his own, right? So big credit to him as well, but the Oliver Ascension and even the likely Ascension in terms of his blocking ability. Yeah. Those two stories have been great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's your turn to pick. I thought you might pick Isaiah likely next. But I, we, 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 no, we can go into it because like he he's a player that was not targeted in this game either after coming off a game where he was able to make some pretty solid catches against Denver in week 13. But again, you know, it's kind of like with Josh Oliver, where likely doesn't have to have that. And with Mark Andrews in the fold, likely, you know, will he ever have a game with Mark Andrews in the game where he catches a hundred yards worth of passes or whatnot? I don't know. It's possible. He's that talented of a player. You can line him up so many places, but I think likely still did make an impact in this game without actually impacting the box score, which I think is all the more impressive considering he's a rookie and what he has done this year to evolve. Yeah. They, they, they didn't, they didn't really have a dominance of likely snaps in this game. Likely only had 19 snaps. It's a little odd. Um, if you're going to, if, if you, I guess if you're deciding you're running the ball, maybe you'd rather have Josh Oliver in there. Uh, and, and, you know, likely certainly has been a good, good run blocker, but Andrews is a, is generally a good run blocker as well. So you want him for that. I think likely gives you a little bit more of a threat to have in on a run package. Like if you're going to play 13, having likely in there is going to make the defensive coordinator think about how he wants to line up against you, whether he wants an extra corner, extra safety, whatever else extra in the game to try and um, cover that extra tight end that's in. And if he does, uh, you know, he, he's, if, if, if he doesn't, that gives you an option to, to even stretch the field of the player, like likely not burning speed, but he's got good size, good cut ability, and, and he can give you some, uh, some, some danger, down the field, hopefully, uh, uh, that, the, that the defense needs to account for. Yeah, the tight end room's been super impressive this year. I mean, you have a star in Andrews, evolving players in Oliver, and likely we talked about having Charlie Calder waiting in the wings for whenever his debut comes. Then Nick Boyle, who's a veteran, I know the impact hasn't been what people were expecting from him, and the situation with him's kind of been iffy all year. But to have five tight ends like that who can each make an impact, I think, is great, especially in the offense the Ravens run. It's, it's a luxury. I, I have a feeling, and we might not know because the Ravens, if they make the playoffs, they're not going to make any sudden move with Boyle. But something tells me that Boyle might might get his final career catch in the final home game this year, which is that's not Atlanta, is it? It's the one after that. It's the one one against Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah. So that'd be perfect, by the way, for him to get you know a, a schemed up first fifteen plays. You know, ten yard first down play. Um, you're you're going to know right away if that was supposed to be the end because these teammates are all going to be over and they're going to be ha- hitting on the helmet. And he's going to go out of bounds. It's, it, this is a story I like to tell. Sometimes it's a, it was about Lou Gehrig at the end of his consecutive game streak, and he was already sick and he knew it. And but more more importantly, his teammates knew it. And he, and he had to he had to give up on baseball, but there was a ground ball at some point in it might have been early thirty nine or maybe even early thirty eight, but it was right at the end of his career. And he made a routine play, went to the bag to tag up at first, and and you all of a sudden 
the pitcher, the second baseman, and the catcher all over tapping on the head, and he knew it was time to quit. You know, this is a, you know, this is a standard kind of a play here, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that. Boyle, you know, gets a gets a nice send off against the Steelers with a with a reception in that home game on on January first, and that's the uh, that's the last play of his career. And to do that, they'll have to get him an activation, which is a uh, you know an, another investment that they would have to make. But uh, uh, he certainly has had a very fine career with the Ravens. Yeah, I am not expecting him to be with the team next year. You know, I, I don't know what his future holds, but if that were the way that it happens, and if that is how his career ends, it would certainly be the storybook ending, especially if it comes against the Steelers in a home game, and especially if that game is a win. Yeah, yeah. If it could arrange it to be a touchdown, if you have first and goal from the one, and you can somehow have him do a little disappearing act at the line of scrimmage and throw him a high ball, I'm all for that too. But that uh, that might be a little too Walt Disney for us to to really go for that. <laughs> Let's talk uh, MVPs from this game. Are you set up to go three to one on MVPs? We can do that. Yep. Okay, sure. Uh, you're the guest. Start us off with your number three pick for the MVP. Oh, it is tough because there are so many. I'm going to say my number three pick is Roquan's. Actually, no, I'm going to say Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen is my number no, three. No, no, you can't take defensive players. Sorry, these are offensive MVPs. Oh, offensive MVPs. Yeah. Okay, well, that may, I'm going to go. I'll say the guards. Can I say two players? Sure. Okay, Powers and Cologne are my two for number three. I, I do still think it starts up front for what the Ravens do and the way that they were able to perform on the interior, kind of limit the Steelers in both the run game and in pass protection. I think that that was incredible and really helped pave the way for what they did throughout the game on the ground. All right, I I, I have the same as you. I have the guards. I think it's it's a little unfair to Ben Powers to give Cologne like an even share of this, but it is what it is. And and that's uh, I'm sure he would understand, but uh, powers for several consecutive weeks, I think has been my number three guy. He's been playing very well. So uh, uh, he's on a run and, uh, and this was another good one and, uh, for him. We talked about it off earlier. I don't think we need to continue. Who's your number two guy. I have Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards is my number two guy, just solid overall for what the Ravens were able to do on the ground. Again, this was a ground and pound game with the pass to run disparity being greatly in favor, 42 attempts on the ground compared to just 17 through the air. But Edwards, again, beacon of consistency on the ground that did not change against Pittsburgh. I thought he played really well. Can't argue with that at all. Uh, I did take uh, Patrick Ricard. I think his job as a blocker in this game, picking up that key third and one uh, were central. He was actually out front also of the, uh, of the six yard run on third and three that sealed the game. So combination of high leverage plays for Dobbin for Ricard rather that, uh, that I think really helped win the game. I can guess who your number one guy is. <laughs> it is Mr. JK Dobbins, an incredible effort in his first game back i know we've been talking about the snap counts and the the carry counts and how surprised we were about it but he did he did work in his attempts eight yards per carry had that 44 yard run jk dobbins 100 my number okay and i'm i'm right on board with you i don't think we need to talk about it too much very slippery made good use of the holes and i i hope he i i, I think there is the prospect that he'll be healthier uh, at some point. And hopefully, hopefully it's, uh, I'm glad we've seen, seen something of the old Dobbins this year because we really had not seen very much so far before this game. And hopefully uh, next year, J.K. Dobbins is being back to being J.K. Dobbins in what will be year four already. Mm, crazy so, to think about. Crazy yeah, to think about. Incredible. Uh, I'm going to go to the mailbag here. We'll pick up a couple questions here. Um, uh, and they've got a good one here from Andrew Konizeski, Uh, and he says, happy to see Ben Cleveland. What about re-signing powers 
Linderbaum, Cleveland for IOL in 2023. Well, Linderbaum is going to be here. Cleveland is going to be here because it'll only be his third year. And Powers is the guy. Um, Do you think there's a chance they'll re-sign Ben Powers? It's it's a tough question. I think they should try, but I think with the way the Ravens have to navigate Lamar's situation, you have Roquan Smith now that you have to navigate. They will get some money, well, technically, by not having Marcus Peters on the books. What will happen with Clayus Campbell? It will be tough to bring back Ben Powers. I feel like I feel if they can get him, maybe if they can work out something where they can do one of those like team friendly extensions, we've seen them do so many times, but the way Ben Powers is playing, I think a lot of teams will be in on him. And if it comes down to a bidding war, I just don't think the Ravens have the money, the cap space to go super, super into that. So it'll depend on a lot of things. I hope they're able to do it, but I'm just not sure they'll be able to. It's one of the things I always talk about is that good teams, teams that draft well, have to make consistently heartbreaking decisions when they have too much talent to resign. So Matthew Judon, obviously a guy who is pretty upset about not being resigned. And, you know, he said some things recently, I think are, are I wouldn't call them outside the line because players are entitled to feel, you know, I want to, I want to be allowed to feel when I'm screaming at the TV set, profanity at the TV set on Sunday. I don't want my wife telling me, settle down, settle down. No, I don't want that. I want to be able to feel, get this out of my system. He's got the right to feel it too. But um, the truth of the matter is with Judon, they would have loved to have him. Every Ravens fan would have loved to have him. But the problem is that they just don't have a mo- enough money for everyone who's coming off a rookie deal. And and that's a, you know, just a, the situation as it is. So it, it's, it's better to be in that heartbreaking situation than it is to be in a situation where uh, you have to sign somebody else's players because you don't have enough talent on your own roster. Yep. I would much rather have, it's even like the preseason question that the Ravens go through every season because they're so deep. It's, mm-hmm. I would much rather have them have 65 players that they want to have on their roster, but they can't keep them all as opposed to them having 40 guys and have being in a, in a crunch where who else, where do we get guys? Cause we don't have enough talent. Right. And even, you know, even this year, that's kind of worked out. And that's why Anthony Brown is available potentially to start this next game is they had, they had extra depth and they were able to make a judicious cut, not fall victim to the, we need to keep this guy on the roster all season. Cause they didn't. They did not need to do it, and we, they've they've proved that to themselves now. And uh, you know, if he's if he's a player here, if he could really earn a spot for himself next year on this team, I think the, the backup quarterback job is certainly open. Uh, hopefully, the the first string quarterback job is not open next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Huntley the Huntley conversation is a different one, but we'll see what ends up happening with that one. All right, I got another one here. This is from Gavin Smith, uh, and he says, "Hello, Ken. Could you mention?" Um, in your overall season ranking so far, what you think of Jordan Stout, please? I think he's been good, uh, but so you think he should be pinning teams inside the 10 a lot more. But I think it's do you think. Uh, uh, I'm just curious on what you think uh, with the film. I'll let you go first on that one. Yeah, Stout has been... He's been a rookie, I think is what I'd say. There was, there was supposed to be an expected drop-off, obviously, with... Sam Cook having that consistency there for so many seasons. Stout could definitely be better. I think he's been okay. I think as he progresses, he'll be better. But there have been a couple punts where either he'll punch the ball into the end zone when he maybe could get him inside the 10 or inside the 20. There have been others that you just can't get there. I think he's been okay. I do know, though, that with such high expectations coming off of what Sam Cook brought this team for so many years – 
it was unrealistic that a rookie coming in could have matched that in his first season. So I do want to give him a bit of a pass for that. I don't think he's been terrible by any stretch of the imagination. He's had some really, really good punts this year, but I also think there have been some ones where he just wished they were a little bit better to get the Ravens a bit better field position on defense. Yeah, absolutely. And he came the big number he had that it was above some of the other booming foots that were in this, in this draft class, uh, like Ariza were, was the uh, ability to pin in 10 and he had 53% in 10 tens on punts between the 30. But the fact of the matter is I'm going to give you some statistics here. Jordan Stout's rookie year has really been pretty good. And there's four key stats for me. The first is gross punting average. He's 22nd in the league at 46.7 gross punting average. So uh, that's, you know, fairly long, but the, but 20 to be 22nd in the league is not very exciting. When you take net punting average and see so you're talking about the, the coverage unit is now making a contribution to this. They're 16th. Now the punter still has to do a lot to make sure that net punting average isn't uh, whittled away by line drive kicks that, that go right to the receiver uh, kicks that go out of bounds, all the things that can go wrong with the punt. We don't have to go into naming each of these. But there's another stat that the NFL lists on their website, which is net yards over average, which takes into account field position. And he's 1.22 yards net over average. Now, Tommy Townsend is leading the NFL by a very broad margin, but Jordan Stout is 12th in the NFL in that category. So that's the third of the four good ones. And that's that's pretty damn good. I'm you know a rookie being at that point, even if you spent the draft pick on him, you've got years of cheap play uh, left for him. And then the biggest stat of all is that Justin Tucker's uh, success rate is not going down on his kicks. And so, you know, he's, he's missed what three field goals. They've all been from 56 and longer and maybe it's four now. I'm not sure actually, but, but however many it is, they've all been very long kicks. So the fact that, that, you know, stout is not contributing to failures in the kicking game is absolutely his most important job. And, and that's exactly what it is because I think also when you're talking about what he does in the punt game, there was a lot to be said about his ability as a holder. He can kick off. He can make field goals. He's a, he's a do-it-all punter, and not that the Ravens need him to do all of that all the time, but I think as he gets closer and closer to you know becoming a veteran, which is still pretty long ways away after all this is his rookie season, he'll, he'll be able to, I think, do some really positive and solid things. Not that he hasn't already, because I think he has, but... I think we'll see continued improvement from him and he has the potential, especially working with Sam Cook still in that Baltimore organization to continue the trend of having a very solid punter for many years and that, and a Ravens team that values special teams above all. Yeah. I, I hope that will, that relationship will continue. Obviously I, I don't know whether Cook's relationship with the Ravens was a, was specifically a one year, one camp deal or whether it was supposed to go on. But if, if you know, I would love to have Cook back to teach holding and maybe someday to take over Randy Brown's responsibilities in terms of, of what he does, if he really wants it. Now cooks, you know, made a fair amount of money. He may have some other choice in life after football that he wants to go through, but I think he'd probably be a, a pretty good cook kicking and a holding coach, punting and holding coach, I should say. Yeah. I, I love those stories where you have guys coming back to the organization. Zach Gore has been one who's had success with the inside linebackers. Anthony Levine's with the team as well in a consulting role. I know they, they've had multiple, many, many other coaches, some who are with the organization. I know Darius Hayward Bay's in the Ravens organization doing some stuff right Did now. Did not so. know that. Really? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I'll look up his role when, when I throw it back to you, but yeah, they, they've had a bunch of coaches who do a lot in that organization. And I think Sam Cook would be great to have him for so many years to come if he's able to continue that relationship. 
Yeah. Uh, DHB went to my alma mater locally at McDonough. And uh, uh, I, I went back to campus. I hadn't been back in many years but to, to, to see a lacrosse game and uh, went to see a, uh, one of my old math teachers who happened to be there. And she she one of her proudest things was that she was Darius Hayward's Bay's tutor. Uh, for, for Matt for sure. but uh, anyway, obviously a, a a good kid, a good story. Steelers fans love him in terms of he was always a great special teams guy and and wasn't real upset, even though he's drafted seventh overall by the Raiders. You know, way back when, um, you know, they obviously drafting a, a forty time, and and what they really got was a great special teams player. Out of yeah. thing. I'm sure they're not very happy with that exchange, but but the Steelers <laughs> certainly for for what he contributed on special teams all those years, that probably is where they've got him. Right yeah. now, I would have to guess. Right, he he's a player personalist, and I just looked it up. So right in there with Anthony Levine as well, who both both have that rule. All right, let me just see if there's anything else here. But I think that's going to be it for the mailbag tonight. It will be. Thanks, folks. Uh, really appreciate your mailbag questions, Kevin. Thanks for spending a good amount of time on a, uh, on the mailbag and on the rest of the show with us. Tell folks where they can find your work again online. Yep, absolutely. You can find me over on Twitter, Cash Record Thirty Four, Locked On Ravens, and also for the Ravens wire as well. All right. Outstanding. Other folks, uh, you know, the rules on a film study short, just hit me up with a DM on Twitter. Here's what I really want you to do. And I've been asking this for a few shows, but if you're listening this far into episode two on the offense, uh, please take this show to a friend of yours at work who is just not facile with podcasts. Could be your granddad, could be your dad, could be whoever is the oldest male football fan in your family. And play this directly off the website for them and just see if they have interest in listening to this kind of thing. A lot of people just they can't get accustomed to podcasts because they don't understand the technology. And I feel like we're missing part of our audience in terms of a, a group that would like to you know, kind of relish some of the, the history of Ravens football in addition to uh, uh, you know, listening to, to content about how the game is played today. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, my thoughts, at least on, on, on how, uh, what's really important in terms of relative value of run and pass blocking, which there might be some disagreement on, but, uh, really appreciate it if you, if, uh, if you could promote the show for us that way, uh, Kevin, thanks again for coming on. Always appreciate you, Ken. Thanks so much for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on film study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.